Now on Netflix. Inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona, Hitman. Now playing on Netflix and in select theaters. Rated R. Aloha, and welcome to episode 97 of Killer Hangover. I'm Bettina. And I'm Beth. And you just totally confused them. Yes, you're in Hawaii, but I'm in the cold still, Mom. (laughs) Sorry, I had to rub it in. (laughs) Yes, I'm in the cold, and we are covering the state of Alabama, but Mom's still in vacation mode. (laughs) Sorry about that. (laughs) No, I'm not. (laughs) No, you're not. What's the weather like there, Mom? You don't want to know, do you? Mm, it's amazing. Probably not. It's just amazing. It just set me into a depression over Palm here. Palm trees, blue sky, blue ocean. Amazing. Awesome. <laughs> Good for you. Yeah, for a little while longer. Good news over here is we are all healed up from... Uh, the good old COVID. COVID. I never seemed to catch it. Oh, congratulations. I don't know how that happened. Uh, By the grace of God. Just exactly. <laughs> Pure luck, mom. Pure luck. So I have the true crime this week and Beth has the paranormal and the drink. Not that I haven't drank enough while on vacation, but what are you having in cold Missouri? Ha ha ha. So funny. And yes, I'm drinking all by my lonesome over here. Well, not really, but you're drinking that drink by your lonesome. We are covering the state of Alabama and looking for an Alabama cocktail. I had to scroll, 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 because you guys really like the Alabama slammer. And that's like all I That's all there is. (laughs) For a while. And then I discovered the Yellow Hammer Slammer cocktail (laughs) recipe. Let's twist it up a little. Uh, I don't know if this is the same cocktail. I probably should have compared ingredients, but this is what I'm drinking, and I'm going to pretend that I am on some tropical island with you, Mom, because it is vodka, rum, amaretto, orange juice, pineapple juice, and a handful of ice is what the ingredients call for, according to delish.com. That does sound a bit tropical. Yeah, so it's called the Yellow Hammer Cocktail, and what is a Yellow Hammer? (laughs) <laughs> I have no idea. What is a yellow hammer? It is the state bird of Alabama. And it even has on here some kind of a cheer that the University of Alabama uses that has something against Auburn and when they beat them and they sing about the rammer jammer yellow hammer. Yeah, I have no idea. Maybe you guys know that. But the article states that this is a very potent drink. To take your time while drinking it and let it last all tailgate long. Oh. What it is, is two ounces of vodka, two ounces of rum, an ounce of amaretto, four ounces of orange juice, seven ounces of pineapple juice, stirred all up, served in a 20-ounce cup over ice. All right. Since we are doing this virtually, I've already started drinking it and it is delicious. Well, I'm sorry I'm missing out. Yeah, you should be. See, (laughs) I got something good going on over here. 
it's pretty sweet. I think one of these will uh, be just fine. Maybe uh, not not as much pineapple juice, maybe. It sounds like a lot of pineapple juice. Yeah, it's seven ounces of pineapple juice. And what I did is I didn't, you know, those little cans of pineapple juice. Mm -hmm. I didn't quite use the whole can. So I think one of those cans is like 5.5 ounces. Right, right. Yeah, but seven ounces of pineapple juice, that's very sweet. Does that make sweet. one drink? Mm-hmm. 20-ounce cup. Heck, that is a lot of pineapple juice. It's 16 ounces of liquid. So <laughs> it's like filled to the brim. <laughs> if you no wonder it's supposed recipe. to last your whole tailgate. <laughs> so just a reminder, we have a TikTok, and I make the cocktails on TikTok. I also try to post it on our social media as well. Uh, one announcement before mom jumps into the true crime, but Patreon members, we admit we've been slacking. Oh my so, gosh. I just feel so bad. We've decided that what we're going to do is release an extra episode for you guys every single week. And what we're going to do is watch what's new and trending true crime genre or paranormal genre and we're gonna watch one episode together and then chat about it on an episode for on a podcast for you guys for patreon so you can we'll give you a heads up of what we're watching so you can watch it beforehand or you know we can ruin it for you whatever you want (laughs) whichever you prefer But you can watch along with us. If it's a series, we'll watch one episode a week and then we can chat about the series, blah, blah, blah. You get the gist. Join us on Patreon if if you want to listen to it. It's going to be really fun. I think it'll be fun. Bethy came up with this idea and I said, okay, let's do it. More time I have with you. I think what's going to be tough for mom is that she's such a binger. So it's going to (laughs) be really hard for her to do one episode a week. But we're going to teach mom some patience. (laughs) Self-control. Oh, no. (laughs) Self-control. Oh. Talking about a binger, I have to give a shout out to one of our new listeners. Her name is Journey. I met her in Hawaii. And in two, I believe it was two, yeah, it's less than two weeks. She has listened to 50 of our episodes. (laughs) Hey, awesome. (laughs) She said, yeah, I have a problem. Oh, you and her both. There needs to be some kind of a binge support group. Uh, Yeah. So anyway, before I start, shout out to you, Journey. Yes. Hello. Let's jump into Alabama. I don't know whether you remember, but several weeks back, months back, you did the Giggling Granny from Alabama. Months back. Yes. (laughs) Months, months. 30 years after the Giggling Granny, we have Alabama's Black Widow, Audrey Marie Hilly. Originally from Blue Mountain, Alabama, which, by the way, is where Nanny Doss, the giggling granny, is also from. Uh Uh-oh. I don't know what's in the water there. there. (laughs) (laughs) Audrey was born Audrey Marie Frazier on June 4th, 1933. On all accounts, she had a normal, happy childhood. So we can't use trauma in her childhood as an excuse for what happened later. She was an only child, and her parents, Huey and Lucille Frazier, spoiled her. Sorry, I thought you were going to say Huey and Louie. <laughs> Sorry. It's that Lou. <laughs> yeah. Oh, they weren't ducks. They were hardworking people. 
who worked more than spend time with Audrey. So to make up for it, they would buy her things. And more than not, they gave into whatever she wanted. She wore clothes Uh that were not exactly expensive, but were better than most of the children at her school wore. When Audrey was in seventh grade, the family moved to Anniston, Alabama, which was definitely more upscale than Blue Mountain. When Audrey was 12, she caught the eye of Junior Frank. Okay, his name was not Junior. (laughs) When Audrey was 12. What was his name, Mom? (laughs) She caught the eye of Frank Hilly, who was a junior at the time. Now, Give me give me some leeway on the time scales here because different sources, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. One or two sources did say that he was a junior in high school when she caught his eye at age 12. She was 12. He was totally smitten with her. After Frank graduated, he entered the Navy. But while away, he missed her terribly. So while our, so while on R&R, that is a really hard sentence what? to say. <laughs> R&R is rest and recuperation. So while on R&R, he flew back and (laughs) married Audrey. You should see her mouth. She's really I had to enunciate. (laughs) She graduated from high school and moved to California where Frank was stationed. When Frank got out of the Navy, the couple moved back to Anniston. There they had two children. Mike and Carol. The marriage has had its ups and downs like any marriage, but shortly after Carol was born, the nine-year-old marriage plummeted. It could have been caused by the stress of a second child, or one source said it was caused by money problems. Mm. Audrey liked to shop and spend money. Uh-oh. The couple didn't really have that much. Even with a two-person income, money was tight because of Audrey's spending. She even went so far as to get a P.O. box so Frank wouldn't see the credit card bills. Oh, no. But how is she going to pay those? So she came up with this great plan. She is going to go to the bank for a loan. And since Frank was a very well-respected man in town, the banks granted the loans, which, of course, Frank didn't even know about. And you said loans. Yes, loans to pay off the credit cards. So now we've got Mm. this cycle. Not only, you know, now she's got to pay back the loans too. Audrey was a manipulator, plain and simple. At work, she would play power games with her co-workers, but was very respectful and submissive to her bosses. Did you like that change in deflection? (laughs) Co-workers called her peculiar and said that she would act out if she didn't get her way. Or she didn't get what she wanted. But her letters of recommendation held nothing but praise and compliments as to what a good secretary she was. At home, she was a mess. I guess she really favored her son, Mike. And to make up for that, Frank would spend time with Carol. This did not sit well with Audrey. She and Carol fought constantly, even when Carol was just a little girl. So when I say that Frank spent time with Carol, they would go to, Carol was a tomboy. And this is another thing that Audrey did not like about Carol. She wanted a girly girl and Carol was anything but that. Frank would take her to ball games, which they really enjoyed doing together. They would go to movies sometimes. That's the time that he spent, the special time he spent with Carol. That's nice though. There's nothing Well, thank goodness she had a father that did that. Sure. 
But to get back at Frank, Audrey showed him love letters that other men had recently written to her. Oh, my gosh. Get this. She's very manipulative. They were bogus. She wrote them herself? Yes. Oh, no. Oh, my goodness. Then one day, Frank, who had been feeling mm, bad off and on for days, really felt bad and left work early only to walk in on Audrey in bed with her boss. Oh, no wonder she was getting rave ratings at her job. (laughs) Was it really the job they're rating? (laughs) In early 1975, so 24 years after they married, Frank became very ill, and he had been struggling with something off and on this whole time. Like his stomach would be really Uh nauseous and cramp up and... But this time, he became extremely ill, complained of abdominal pains and nausea, went to the doctor, but the doctors were puzzled as to what was causing his illness. He progressively got worse. And in May of that year, Frank was hospitalized. Doctors were still puzzled as to what was causing his illness. But by this time, there was little they could do for him. And in a few days, Frank passed away. An autopsy showed that his liver had malfunctioned, Other organs were enlarged and his stomach was inflamed. Cause of death, they surmised, was hepatitis. Frank left Audrey with a life insurance policy, which she redeemed for $31,140, which today, I looked it up, would be about uh, $175,000. Oh, wow. Oh, but she still has all those loans and credit card bills and everything. You know, it's not... uh, if you get a whole bunch of loans still. Mm. Two kids and you're in debt, that's it's still tough. But get this. She may have been in debt, but instead of paying that off, she went on a crazy shopping spree. She bought herself a car. She bought herself clothes and jewelry. And she did buy gifts for other family members. By this time, her son Mike had become a pastor and had married. Audrey invited Mike and his wife, Terry, to live with her while they got their feet on the ground. At the same time, Audrey's mother, Lucia, was diagnosed with cancer, and Audrey moved her into the house as well. Audrey was very clingy with Mike and wanted all of his attention when they were both at home. Poor Terry, on the other hand, so Mike's wife, became very sick. Hmm. Oh, my gosh. In fact, she was rushed to the hospital four times in a year. In that year that they spent with Audrey, one of those times she miscarried. Oh, no. Between Audrey's possessive nature over Mike, Terry's mysterious illness, and the constant fighting between Audrey and Carol, yes, it was still going on, Mike had had enough, and he and Terry found an apartment. (laughs) Get this. The night before they were scheduled to move into the apartment, Audrey's house caught on fire. Oh, my gosh. She, Carol, and Lucille, her mother, who was still living with them, moved into the apartment with Mike and Terry. Oh, my gosh. While repairs were being made to the house. When it was time to move back into the house, the neighboring apartment caught on fire. I mean, at this point... They have to either be like, wow, mom, you have like the worst luck in the entire world or uh, hello, coincidences. <laughs> you have a little bit of a problem with uh, what's it called? Uh, 
pyromania. <laughs> you're, you're a bit into pyromania. Arson? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Jeez. Mike and Terry had to move out of their place, so the whole group ended up back at Audrey's house. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> a few months later, Mike and Terry moved out of the house, but they were done. They moved to Pompano Beach, Florida. Well, they're like, see ya. We're going out of here. We need, Bye. We need a little R&R. <laughs> we're out of here. <laughs> but this was after Mike found out that Audrey had racked up $600 on his credit card. Oh, gosh. So she's saying, okay, I'm going to help you guys out. Get your feet back on the ground. Come live with me. Right? At the same time, mm-hmm. she's using this pastor's, he's not getting paid very much, this pastor's credit card. Who, oh by the way, gosh. is her son. Yeah. Is her son. Exactly. All right. A short while after Mike moved out, Audrey proceeded to get life insurance on her children. Mike's was for $25,000 and Carol's was for $39,000. So she got this okay. life insurance for him. The next step taken by Audrey was that she and Carol moved in with Frank's sister, Frida. Okay, follow Why? along here. <laughs> so Frank's... Why they move in with her? I don't know whether Audrey lost the house or she sold it, by, but by this time her mother had died, so it was okay. just her and Carol. Audrey and Carol then moved in with Frank's mother, Carrie Hilly. Okay, so they lived with Frida for a while. Then they moved in with Frank's mother, Carrie Oh my gosh, okay. <laughs> I know, I should make like this master plan for you because it's crazy. <laughs> should have yeah. taken notes. Strange things started happening at Carrie's house. Phone lines were cut. Small fires were set. Uh, there's a surprise. Oh. <laughs> Mom, why are all these fires following you? Carrie started complaining of stomach issues and nausea. And Carol Mm -hmm. became sicker and sicker. Oh, my gosh. Her own daughter. Shoot. Audrey was holding down two jobs as well as two affairs. One was her boss, Harold Dillard, at her nighttime job. And the other was an old high school friend, Calvin Robertson, that she had looked up online. Both were married. Calvin and Audrey had a long distance relationship as Calvin lived in San Francisco. Okay, that's the high school friend that she had looked up. Okay. Okay, remember I told you she was manipulative? Audrey told him she had been diagnosed with cancer, but she didn't have the money to pay for treatment. Oh my gosh, this woman. Calvin promptly sent her the money she needed. Then? Oh my gosh. Is this woman like beautiful? Like, I know she's manipulative, but... Is she just like absolutely gorgeous? I didn't think like, so. She really has these people wrapped around her finger. I know, right? You'd think that she was drop dead. I didn't think she was. I think she looked fine. I mean, you know. But that's looking at her in hindsight, knowing how cuckoo she is. <laughs> Lo and behold, a few months later, she was healed. Thanks for the money, dude. Oh, yep. Wow. Miracle. <laughs> On Sunday in April of 1979, both Carol and Carrie got sick during church service. So um, I think Carol had to leave the service and went outside and just vomited. I mean, she couldn't stop throwing up. Oh, God. Carrie got so sick that an ambulance had to come to the church and get her. So these ladies oh, were very gosh. ill. Both became more and more sick as the summer progressed. Audrey was administering shots every day to Carol 
telling her that they were for nausea and that Carol couldn't tell anyone that she was receiving these shots because a nurse at the hospital had given the nausea medicine to Audrey and the nurse would be in trouble if she was found out and would lose her job. So, so I just don't understand how all of these sicknesses and illnesses around this woman and nobody was like that's odd because it was like her husband then her daughter-in-law and then her daughter her mother probably too mother-in-law yep and her well yeah we who knows her mom had cancer but still like who knows that right that was probably an inconvenience to have to care for her so carol continued (sighs) to get worse she suffered from muscle weakness and felt tingling in her hands and feet Doctors could not figure out what was wrong with her. Carol was admitted to the hospital. And even there, Audrey continued to give her the shots. In the hospital? In the hospital. Yes. Doctors started suspecting heavy metal poisoning. And as soon as they mentioned this to Audrey, she had Carol discharged and moved her to another hospital. Because they were starting to zero in on what the problem was. This hospital was no different, though. Doctors there also started testing for metal poisoning. Somewhere in all of this, the police started looking into Audrey. Not at the time for poisoning, but for passing bad checks. Mm. She had written checks to the insurance company that insured Carol's life, but the checks all bounced. (laughs) She had no money. (laughs) The checks all bounced. So basically, Carol's life insurance was null and void. Because she hadn't been paying on it. I don't know whether she knew oh, that or not. Gosh. But Well, and then she's moving her daughter from hospital to hospital. I mean, that couldn't have been very cheap. cheap. I know. Oh, Audrey was sent to prison and police started looking closer into her past. Thank goodness she went to prison. Yeah. Now, without Audrey lurking in the background, doctors were able to run more tests on Carol. And Carol's probably, I mean, I don't know how poisoned she is, but is she starting to get a little better because she's not being administered those shots anymore yeah but she's been getting this for a long time that's so So getting better is going to take a long time one of the doctors on the case dr thompson noticed carol's finger and toenails white lines ran down every single nail now they knew what to look for Hmm. what does that mean arsenic poisoning i guess if you're oh if you ingest arsenic (laughs) For a long period of time, your nails show it by these white lines. Really? By these white lines running down them. But you know it's got to be for a, a long stretch of time because your nails... If it's starting to show in your nails, that's... Well, yeah. You know. Wow. Your nails don't grow overnight. Ugh. The toddlers do. Oh, my gosh. I'm constantly cutting the boys' nails. They're disgusting. <laughs> Sorry. Go on. <laughs> by testing Carol's hair... It was determined that the hair follicles contained more than a hundred times the normal level of arsenic. It looked like she had been given arsenic in gradual increasing levels over a period of four to eight months. And it probably been longer than that, but there might have been intervals, you know. So I thought it was really cool. And our listeners probably know this, but I thought it was really cool how they determined the length of time. Uh, Forensic tests were done on Carol's hair. And it Mm -hmm. revealed that arsenic levels ranged from over 100 times the normal level in the follicles to zero times the normal level at the end of the hair shaft. So then they could determine the amount of time. 
Yeah, I learned about that on um, the documentary I just watched, actually, about Brittany Murphy. And because they, you know, don't know how necessarily she died. They said it was pneumonia. But they tested the metals in her hair as well. And I was like, you can do that? And they did find metals, but they said it was because of hair dye. So it wasn't a lot. Yeah. But that would make sense, though, that it comes from the root, comes from the follicle, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, on your scalp. But that's just so fascinating that it stays in your hair that you can. That's what you test. I know. I know. And it's fascinating. Brittany Murphy, her her hair follicles were probably had less metal in them. Then. Yeah, her roots and her follicles had like nothing, and right. then it was like the mid shaft mm-hmm. of the hair, like the makes total mid, sense. Doesn't not it? in the, yeah, makes total mm-hmm. sense. It's it's just very fascinating how, and that, I guess that would make sense why the nails create something too. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, oh yeah. At this time, Audrey was still in prison for those bad checks, but on October 9th, nineteen seventy nine, a new charge of attempted murder of her daughter had been added. Oh wow! In November, Audrey made bail. I don't know how. I think her son. Oh my gosh! Got money from different people to make bail, but but if she's being charged for the for trying to murder her daughter, why would he help her with getting out of jail? I think everything was really confusing and he thought maybe maybe he thought that she hadn't done this. But the bail, the other catch is the bail was set really low. It was like at $14,000. It was really, really well, low. Was, and that was a was mistake. Was it set before she was being charged? No, it was that? after. But it was oh a mistake by the judge or whoever. I think oh the judge sets gosh. the bail. It was a mistake. Whether they forgot a zero or what, I don't know. But uh, the bail amount had been a mistake. So it was... Big e- mistake. Huge. Huge. <laughs> Pretty woman if nobody knew. Love that part of the movie. <laughs> okay. So she made bail. And then her defense attorney placed her in a hotel in Birmingham, Alabama. On November 18th, the attorney went to the hotel to check on her and found a room that looked like it had been ransacked. Oh, of course. I mean, this woman is going to do everything dramatic that she can in this. Audrey wasn't there. Then he found a note written by the kidnappers saying. I was going to say, was she kidnapped? Oh, no. Saying that they had Audrey (gasps) and he had better not call the police or try to follow them. Oh, no, of course not. You can't do that. Of course, he did call the police, but Audrey was nowhere (laughs) to be found. Oh, telling you, she has the worst luck ever. I, I know, of anybody. <laughs> haven't heard of anybody having this kind of luck. So a day or two after her disappearance, Audrey's uncle and aunt's car was stolen. <laughs> Wonder who the thief oh, was. no. <laughs> now her luck is being passed on to her family members. Yeah. <laughs> the car was found in Georgia. But again, no leads as to where Audrey was. It was like she had fallen into the abyss. And in a way, Audrey had, but only to come out of the abyss in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, as dum dum dum, Robbie Hannon. Oh, total change of identity. As Audrey was working <sighs> on her disappearing act, authorities back in Alabama had exhumed Frank's body, her husband's body, her late husband's body. Mm-hmm. Testing concluded that Frank had died of acute arsenic poisoning, which had been given to him over a period over period of months before his death. So now Frank's sister 
is getting a little concerned. Had her mother also been murdered? Remember Carrie? Oh, gosh. Yeah. Right. She searched the mother's house and found a baby food jar, a small spoon, and a container of rat and mouse poison, which contained arsenic. And they were right by each other. Oh, my gosh. The police took a closer look at the contents in Audrey's purse, which was still in their possession. I don't know why, after she made bail, they didn't give her the purse. Yeah, that's odd. Uh, I don't really understand that. But they found a vial, which revealed a presence. Maybe the purse was in the um, hotel room. Maybe Mm -hmm. that's it. Yeah, the hotel room. And then all that was missing was maybe her wallet or Mm -hmm. something. I, I bet that's it. Huh? You're such a good detective. Ah, I know. So the vial contained presence of arsenic. Remember, she was giving her daughter these shots, which mm-hmm. were connected to the vial. So it's a, like a shot vial, basically. Okay. The bodies of Lucille, Audrey's mother, and Carrie, her mother-in-law, were exhumed and tested. And yes, Lucille had died of cancer, but she also had high levels of arsenic. As oh did Carrie. Oh my gosh. The FBI became involved in the case, and they, as well as police, conducted a massive manhunt, or in this case, <laughs> woman hunt, but <laughs> to no avail. Audrey would remain a fugitive for a little over three years. No way. How did she do that, you ask? She just keeps switching her identity. You asked me how she did that, right? Oh, yes. How did she do that? <laughs> As I said, she assumed a new name, Robbie, and with that, a totally new identity. But, okay, the story only gets better. While in Florida... Like, seriously, I know we've joked about it before, but this is seriously like a lifetime movie. (laughs) It's nuts. It's absolutely... It it gets more lifetimey as we go. Okay, so... Oh, boy. She meets John Homan, who quickly fell for Robbie. From what I found in my research, John was a very humble, quiet man who had just recently been divorced. Robbie was a force of nature, and to him, she was one of the most beautiful women he had ever met. To John, it was unbelievable that a woman like Robbie would fall for him. The couple lived together for a year before they were married in May of 1981. They moved to New Hampshire. Now, the whole time they were together, Robbie spoke about her twin sister, Terry Martin, who lived in Texas. Oh, my God. In August of 1982, Robbie said that she was going to settle some family business in Texas and that, oh, by the way, she also had appointments with specialists for the rare blood disease she had. Of course, she had no family in Texas, and of course, she had no rare blood disease. I mean, you got, she's very creative. You got to give her that. I'm not giving her anything. I just, oh. She traveled to Texas and Florida for two months, this time by the name of Terry Martin. In November, John received a phone call from Terry. She told him that her sister, Robbie, his wife, had died in Texas from that rare blood disease. Oh. My gosh. And this poor guy falls for this? He didn't have to come to Texas. he's fallen for all of this. Oh, yeah. He was probably giving her money the whole time she was gone, too. No, he didn't have to come to Texas. Robbie's body had been donated to medical science. But, hey, here's an idea. 
How about if Terry come up to New Hampshire? Mid-November, found a blonde, thin Terry knocking on John's door, posing as his dead wife's twin sister. Now, she had totally changed oh, her appearance. My gosh. She has always had dark hair. She dyed it, obviously, blonde. She had lost weight, and she even moved different. She she fixed her walk or something. So she she was a totally different person. So I I mean insane. John probably was totally in a grieve you know grieving at this point. So he didn't notice little discrepancies or whatever. Um, so I mean I just feel so sorry for this man. Insane. So now she's at John's door in New Hampshire. She's able to talk John into letting her live with him. <laughs> Of course. Telling him that they could work through their loss together. You know, give each other strength. The two worked on an obituary for Robbie, which then appeared in a New Hampshire newspaper. Now, I probably don't have to tell you this, but everything in the obit was made up by Terry, Robbie, Audrey, Uh, whatever you want to call her. She's just super creative. Yeah. One source said that John took Terry to the factory that Robbie had worked at to meet her co-workers. Some there believed the con, others did not. There was something Mm. off. After the obituary appeared in the paper, Robbie's co-workers started digging into things. They found that the church that Robbie supposedly belonged to didn't even exist. Nor did the Mm. teaching hospital that her body was donated to. They took their information to the police who started their own investigation. Here I have to insert that I found some of those research differences we often mention. One source said that was the co-workers that looked into the obit. Another said it was John's family. And another said it was the police directly. So there you have that. Well, I mean, uh, what balls does this woman have, though? Like, okay, look so how long she's, she's gotten away totally- with it. But like, look, her husband is grieving. So, yeah, you're right. Maybe he can look past things, but... Like, our coworkers have got to be like, no, 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 that's, that's Robbie. <laughs> that's like, just how bizarre. Like she sashays into the factory and is just like, oh, so nice to meet you. You know, I'm thinking like Marilyn Monroe type of copy or something. I don't know. Oh, so crazy. <laughs> so the police found several discrepancies themselves. And on January 12th, 1983, Terry was brought in for questioning. <laughs> I'm sorry, you'll know why I'm laughing here. The police surmised that the woman was really Robbie. So they were beyond surprise when Terry confessed to being Audrey Hilly. Yeah, I'm sure they weren't even, that wasn't probably even on their radar. (laughs) This is New Hampshire police. They don't even know about Audrey. (laughs) No. So, I mean, you know, they probably thought that Terry had killed her sister or something, you know, questioning her. Oh. I'm Audrey. Anyway, it's just funny to me. Audrey was returned to Alabama to await trail. <laughs> await trail. Audrey was returned to Alabama to await trial. Audrey's trial was June 1983. I know it was their job to defend her, but I just, defense can be cruel sometimes, okay? They alleged that Carol yeah. had tried to harm herself. And her mother had nothing to do with it. Carol did drugs. Carol had homosexual relations. And Carol had tried to commit suicide three times. When Carol was on the witness stand, she addressed those accusations. 
Yes, she did try marijuana, but she was not an addict. Yes, she had had homosexual relations, but she was not mentally unbalanced because of it. Oh, God, that makes me so mad that she was even on the stand having to defend herself for anything. 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 Yes, she had tried to commit suicide. Two of the attempts were due to the physical and emotional turmoil she was in due to the arsenic poisoning. And the third time was a feeble attempt by taking five Tylenol pills. She wasn't really trying. The jury deliberated for three hours. Audrey was convicted of Frank's murder and Carol's attempted murder. She received life in prison for Frank's death, plus 20 years for the attempted murder charge. Audrey was placed at Tutwiler Women's Institute, a medium security prison in Anniston, Alabama. John stood by his wife all during the trial and actually moved to Anniston after the conviction so he could be closer to her. Because of her secretarial background, Audrey was assigned to do paperwork for the prison. Uh, Remember how she manipulated her earlier bosses? How she manipulated everybody? Yes. Well, prison was no different. She was considered a model prisoner. And with that came the reward of day passes. Oh my gosh! This is crazy! Oh yeah, the story's not over. She was granted three different day passes. And with all three, she left and she returned on time. Proving that she could be trusted with a three-day pass to be with her husband, John. But everything has a reason with her. Like, she is such a con artist. Manipulator, big time. In February of 1987, she and John checked into an Aniston motel for their three-day getaway. I don't know why they didn't go to his house, but they went to the hotel. On February 22nd, John had to leave for a few hours, and on his return, he found a note. But no, Audrey. The note stated that... Was she kidnapped again? Not this time. She went willingly. The note stated that Audrey's friend Walter (laughs) was going to help her escape to Canada. And would John please forgive her? But she just couldn't go back to prison. Oh my gosh. John immediately called the police. And to well, at least he here, did that. this escape actually activated a closer look into the Alabama furlough policy. Mm. like to tighten that. February 26th, the Blue Mountain Police received a phone call. There was an unconscious woman on someone's front porch. It turned out to be Audrey. Mm. The porch, a few houses down from her childhood home. It looked like she had been wandering in the woods for the four days she was missing. She was soaking wet from the rain that had fallen for most of those four days and had hypothermia. Her body temp was 81 degrees from being out in the temperatures that had dropped to the low 30s and then being wet. Mm, EMTs rushed to the home. By the time they got her into the ambulance, her heart had stopped. She could not be revived. It is unknown whether there really was a Walter that was supposed to help Audrey get to Canada. If there was, <laughs> did he stand her up? Mom, there was no Walter. Or maybe there wasn't a Walter. No, At this point, we just really don't know. Audrey Marie Hilly. Murderer, deceiver, master of disguise, and manipulator. Died of heart failure caused by hypothermia. A few houses down from where she had been born. Just a complete Bizarre. crazy end to this absolutely bizarre 
Like, like I oh hadn't, I hadn't heard of this lady. Had you? No, but I, I think Lifetime no, probably not. has. <laughs> they have to. I mean, that seriously has to be a Lifetime movie. <laughs> oh my gosh, crazy! All right, Mom. Well, by the way, this drink is uh, pretty dang potent. So, how much do you have left? I mean, I only have. I still have half a glass left. <laughs> Glass is still half full, Mom. <laughs> there you go. That's my girl. Okay. Well, I'm happy that yours was, I mean, there was deaths, so it's not silly, but crazy where we had a couple laughs because I'm sorry, but mine's a little more serious. Uh, okay. A little more spooky. So this was a request from a listener, Abigail. Hey. She went to this place, sent us photos a while ago, and we put it on our list of places we had to cover. I need to check with her to see if she wouldn't mind if we posted a couple of her pictures, because the pictures she sent us were really cool. Hey, be happy to use those. And she asked us to cover it, so I dug in deep. It's an old abandoned hospital outside of Tuscaloosa in Northport, Alabama. So... The internet is a very confusing place. <laughs> yes, it is. Especially especially when it came to researching this facility and its past. Everywhere, including Google Maps, calls it Old Bryce Hospital. But then there were articles about it being renovated by the local college. And then there was other articles that said it was totally dilapidated. And then from Abigail's photos that she sent... I mean, it looks dilapidated. Right. I mean, it does not look like you could renovate it at all. Uh -oh. So I was really confused, but I figured it out. Of course you did. So think of Bryce Hospital as kind of like multiple campuses. This building that Abigail visited, the very dilapidated abandoned building that is most definitely not being renovated. I mean, unfortunately, it's way too far gone. There's asbestos, mold, arsons. I mean, it looks like the Black Widow had been there. There was has been fires everywhere. Uh, oh. There probably are a few Black Widow spiders there, actually. actually this is the building I'm going to cover. And this building is known as Old Bryce Hospital. But I'm going to use the building's original name when sharing its history. It was named Jemison Center, and its history, I'm very sorry to say, is mysteriously not documented very well. Weird. I'm not going to try to be a Zach and make this this big conspiracy mystery, <laughs> <sighs> but I am curious why a lot of the files and the history of this place is not documented. Like, a detailed historical record of this location is just not accessible. It's a large hospital, a very large building in the woods, and most of its history is a mystery. Hmm. There are some rumors I read, stories that would try to give it this very dark history, but I don't know why people would try to do that. I don't know why they tried to make up some scary narrative for the building, because the truth of the matter is, is that it was an insane asylum in the early 20th century, which is scary itself. Ugh. Exactly. You and I have already discussed places like that. The treatments of those patients in those early facilities was just horrific. 
So from what I researched, the building was built in 1939 and housed patients until 1977. Oh. It was named Jemison Center after the original owner of the property and the land that it sits on, Robert Jemison Jr. The history of the place is very fascinating and very sad. So the Jemison family settled in the area in the 1830s, and they were a very wealthy, influential family. Robert was a Confederate senator and an entrepreneur. He had a lot of businesses in toll roads, bridges, a grist mill, a sawmill, stables, a hotel, and six plantations with over 10,000 acres. <laughs> oh, jeez. Okay, so yes, he was a slave owner, a Confederate senator during the American Civil War. But one good thing he advocated for, which I think was a really big deal back in the 1800s, was mental health. Oh. After his death in 1871, his largest plantation, known as Cherokee Place, was given to the state of Alabama's Board of Mental Health. This was during the segregation era, with Jim Crow laws where whites and blacks had to be separated. So at this time, African-American patients were put up in lofts in a barn oh. at Bryce Hospital in town. With this new land, the State Board of Alabama's Mental Health built the Jemison Center for the African-American patients. Okay. Can you imagine... Being housed in a loft in a barn in Alabama summer? No. Uh, and they're suffering with mental health? Yeah. Like, yeah. No. So they build the Jemison Center, and this is where the African-American patients are moving to. So the center was, like, part of the hospital, but like I said, on a different campus. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think it's funny because... They call it the old Bryce Hospital, but it's obviously newer than the one that was in town. So I think that's kind of funny. But anyway. But it's now the old Bryce Hospital compared Probably to Probably because the, the older one. one has been renovated. Exactly. That's, <laughs> yeah. That's exactly why, probably. <laughs> okay. So now you have the Jemison Center. And actually, it's interesting, but I read that Bryce Hospital and the Jemison Center had their patients... Like work the fields because it's the Jemison Center is surrounded by farmland and woods, but it's like there's a lot of farmland around it. And I guess they made their patients work on these fields. In theory, and I think we've talked about it before in another episode, we can see this as a positive thing, like giving the patients something to do, helping them with independence, teaching them a craft or, right. mm -hmm. you know, creating a self-sustaining place. But a lot of people in town at the time viewed these patients working on the field as, ba as basically free manual labor. Oh. I guess the patients were really mistreated and then they're forced out there in the field on a hot summer's day to work. And it wasn't, you know, a couple hours here and there. It's like all day. Oh, dear. And it was hard work and not necessarily educational work. So the patients were being used as laborers, mm -hmm. which with the Jemison Center being primarily for the African-Americans, and now they're being forced to work in the fields for their stay in a and mental institution. I mean, yeah, I can see a lot of negatives with this. This was all put to a stop eventually, way too late in my opinion, but eventually it was. Other than that, and I think the only reason we know about that is because 
patients at Bryce Hospital were also forced to work the fields. So that's kind of tied together. But other than that, that that's all the history I could find. That's it. On the Jemison Center. Yeah. The only other thing I could get was a reporter from Tuscaloosa News wrote an article about the Jemison Center in the 70s. And his article detailed horrific occurrences. Warning, it is, it's pretty bad. So if you want to fast forward like a minute, you can. Mom, I'm sorry, you have to listen to it. I can't fast forward. (laughs) Quote, human feces were caked on the toilets and walls, urine-soaked aging floors. Many beds lacked linens. Patients were sleeping on the floor. One small shower served 131 male patients. The 75 female patients only had one shower, too. Most of the patients at Jemison were highly tranquilized and appeared to have not bathed in days. Mm. All appeared to lack any semblance of treatment. The stench was almost unbearable. Unquote. So besides this article that specifically was about Jemison. There's nothing. Can can I interrupt you for a minute? When did he write that article? What year was it? In the 70s. In the 70s. You know, mm-hmm. what blows my mind, I know this, this is, we think of this horrible condition as being back in the, you know, back in the day, but that's during my lifetime. Well, you know, what blows my mind is that was written in the 70s. The facility didn't close down until 1977. Right. That's so even saying. after this was in the news, it was still open for years after that. Even when the public became aware of what was going on in the Jemison Center, it still went on for years before it was shut down. I, uh, this, it's just crazy that I was around during that time. Well, and the whole patients working the fields and everything, that was happening in the 60s. I. Again, they... that wasn't back in the 1800s. That's what this I'm saying. In... That's what I'm saying. Is it, It's not yeah. happening like, you know, way back in the day. No, it's happening like during my lifetime. It's just like that. And I know that that's like a really dark past and it's super sad. But I hate that this place has become so run down because it should teach a lesson of like, what we should how terrible things really were Were. and what we shouldn't do like we have to learn from this it was it was terrible but it's been hidden away we don't have any resources for it the only other thing that we can the only thing we can really go on is personal experiences of people and like what their family members had to go through or whatnot and what was really fascinating about this place is when you Googled it, and even on Google Maps, when you look at Old Bryce Hospital, because that's what it's titled as, there's a ton of reviews. I know you and I have Googled a lot of haunted places before, right? but I've never seen a review in abandoned building. There's reviews on this abandoned building, and it's not open to the public. Oh, it's not like it's, it's a not ghost like tour that they're reviewing. You cannot get a tour of this place. Okay. It's the cops will kick you out as soon as they see you. Like Abigail snuck in. <laughs> Lucky thing you. But because a lot of people get kicked out. And I mean, it's not like this open place that you can right. book a tour. Maybe the cops are more vigilant during nighttime when people are more yeah, I would prone to so. going, you know, but I, I think Abigail. And like around during, Halloween and stuff like yeah, that. I think Abigail went during the day. 
I mean, it was creepy as heck just looking at those pictures during the day. Well, after I read you some of these haunting things, I hope she went during the day because it's really creepy. But like I said, only personal the personal stories are the only way I feel like the history of this place and this patient's stories can be kept alive. So I read this comment on AbandonedSoutheast.com. It was from a Ronnie and it stated, I remember going to see my uncle in the late 50s. Must have been spring. Dogwood trees lined the long drive in bloom. My dad said had to stay in the car with my mom. Dad was in the hospital for a while. When he came out, he cranked the car and drove off, telling my mom my uncle said that the orderlies were going to beat him because he told how bad it was. When my dad left, we drove out of the drive and turned around and went back. Dad had something in the door where it would not lock. He went in and caught the orderlies beating my uncle. Oh, jeez. Dad was a tough guy. Dad and my uncle took care of the orderlies. Few minutes, my dad and uncle came out. My uncle came home with us. Never heard anything from it. Uh, that's crazy. Think of that. There was an escape, basically an escaped patient, and nobody did anything about it. It's crazy. Did they even miss him? Did they even know? You know, was he? what kind of treatment did he need? And then he was stripped of that chance of getting any kind of help. So Abigail, I hope I found some interesting history for you. Like I said, the history is very sad. And those people whose lives happened or were affected by this place, their story has just not been told. I mean, hell, most people don't even call the building by its proper name. The patient's narratives and their lives there have just been lost, which is so sad. So like I said, the building is private property and police do have heavy surveillance on the building. There were lots of comments regarding this that they would go and soon after showing up, cops would escort them off the property. Hmm. There's mold and because of arson, there's a lot of a lot of the building is collapsing. Oh, so it's, it's definitely dangerous. not a place. Yeah, it's definitely not a place I can say like, go look at it. I still can't believe Abigail went, I think, a couple times, but her pictures are cool. So let's just look at her pictures. <laughs> It'll be the safest thing. Just reflect on that, not the fact that she put her life in danger getting the pictures. <laughs> The place is covered in graffiti, uh, but there are still old mattresses from when it was a hospital covering the floor. There's still some old hospital equipment and there's like an embalming room that still has stuff in it. Oh, so geez. now I have to give mention to this amazing website I found when I was looking for pictures and researching this place. And it's actually the website where it finally clarified what old Bryce Hospital, Bryce Hospital, Jemison Center, like what it all was. Okay. So I have to give a shout out to opacity.com. I seriously lost myself in this entire website. Tom Kirsch, or as he's known online as Mr. Motts, runs the website. He's a photographer and he travels taking the most beautiful photos of abandoned locations and then he shares some history of the location now i'm talking abandoned homes abandoned libraries abandoned hospitals amusement parks the website is incredible the photos are beautiful and one in particular was my favorite it's a black and white photo taken of the long dirt drive that leads up to the jemison center oh i think Abigail even has a really good picture of that drive as well. And that Ronnie comment I read mm -hmm. mentions the dogwood trees mm -hmm. that line the long drive. this yeah. long drive. I mean, just think about 
it's a dirt road. It's not paved or anything. It's this long dirt road. And back in the day, that dirt road would lead to the original plantation home in the 1800s. And now it leads to this abandoned facility. It's just, I don't know, it's beautiful and eerie and scary, like all All in the same time. Yeah. Yeah. And historical and just, it's really cool. So his photos of the Jemison Center, all of his photos are engulfing and beautiful. So check it out. It's on opacity, O-P-A-C-I-T-Y dot com. Um, I had to look up what opacity meant. It means the transparency of something, either physically or its obscurity in meaning. Okay. Okay. So yes, the facility is haunted. And even though there was not a lot of the history of the building on the internet, there was lots and lots of reviews and comments of experiences in the building. All right. Are you going to tell us some? I'm actually going to read you a few. Okay. How does that sound? Okay. So these were from hauntedplaces.org. The first is from Caleb. And I will warn you, these are pretty spooky. I live in Tuscaloosa. It's the neighboring city to Northport. The two cities intertwine and becomes one city, really. Nobody here knows the Old Bryce Mental Hospital as the Jemison Center. We call it Old Bryce because recently a new mental hospital was erected. Oh, oh. it's Bryce Hospital. Okay, well, that makes sense. Yes. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we call it New Bryce. That's the only reason we say Old Bryce, not that historical stuff. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Following you. Totally. And no, the hospital does not allow anyone in without special permission from the mayor or city council. Holy smokes. It's patrolled by cops all the time, so it's hard to get inside. My brother went inside, and the stuff that he saw kept him awake for days. He heard screams and footsteps, and he took a video on his phone, and you could see a chair move. What? There are many graffitied places and much vandalism in the building. Many people go there to perform rituals. Uh. Satanic. There are pentagrams and candles everywhere. Old needles from the hospital are just left laying everywhere. And so is some medical equipment, like the beds that strapped you down tight and gags. Mm. There have also been animal offerings in the building. People kill the animals and do whatever they do with it. It's a scary place, haunted or not. This next one is from Brandon. Me and a few of my buddies went here tonight, and we saw another truck coming in the trail. So we followed it, but could never find the truck. So we pulled up at the asylum and went inside. We were walking up the stairs. My friend looked at me and said, I don't feel right. I can't breathe. So we got in the truck thinking, it's okay. It was just the mold and it's (laughs) asbestos in the air. Yeah, not a problem. (laughs) No big deal. (laughs) But when the headlights hit the front of the building, we saw four figures, two in one window and the third floor, one really tall black figure that screamed at us and one on the first floor. I never saw the one on the first floor, but according to my other friends, it was there. And I've never seen or heard anything like that. I would advise do not go. This was very demonic and dangerous. Ugh. Ugh. You just imagine seeing a figure and then it's screaming at you. No. No, I just think of this just mouth opening really wide. Yeah. And <laughs> you just see this like shadow figure with this mouth opening really wide Ooh. and then it's just like Ooh. horrific scream. This is one from Haley. Me and my friends went out there and on the way out there, we saw two headlights but never saw tail lights. So that's interesting that people go out there and they see headlights either following them or ahead of them, but then there's nobody else out there with them. 
Right. So the other person basically saw taillights because they followed the truck there. Mm-hmm. And now Haley is seeing headlights, but no taillights. Interesting. That's weird. So we thought, okay, there's more people going out there, so we will follow them. Well, we never saw those two headlights again. So we get out there, and some of us go in, and some of us sit in the truck. Well, one of my friends saw a hand wrapped around the corner of the wall, and we heard doors slam upstairs and running. But actually, there's no doors upstairs. Oh. So we all run out of there and get in the truck, and we go shine the lights on the place. And we saw people in the windows what? and a huge black figure in front of the truck and they were screaming at us. It was the loudest scream I've ever heard. And I know a human couldn't scream like that. Well, we were trying to get the truck in reverse and the truck wouldn't go. We finally got it to go and we got out of there. That place is nothing to mess with. I suggest you do not go. Oh, my gosh. Well, I'm sure that the spirits or whatever had nothing to do with the truck. The driver was probably so freaked out. They so couldn't scared. get it into gear to get the heck out of there. But, oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. But, you know, unfortunately, the more they say, I advise you not to go, <laughs> more people are going to want to go. More people want to go. I just think it's yeah. stupid, though, to mess with this. This sounds like real. Well, and because the history has been mysteriously not documented, and because you have all these scary stories, yeah, you're going to have a bunch of people making up all these creepy stories and going to check it out. Like, But these story, if these two, I don't know, maybe she read Rob or whoever posted before, but th- they sound a lo- similar. Like, they saw the same thing. They saw the same thing, and they were posted a month apart. Huh. Okay, the last one is from Will. Okay, Will, bring it on. (laughs) My friends and I visited here back in 2016 and experienced a few strange things, mainly footsteps and whistling. After we heard the whistling, we decided to stick around and see if we could make contact with the entity, with any entity. We did, and it threw things at us. (laughs) What? My friend was struck in the face by unknown debris. And as he left the room, another piece of debris came flying out after him. Oh. We decided to wait around to see if anything else would happen. Why would you wait around? I'm just thinking, okay, something just threw something at my face. Now something just threw something at the back of my head. Let's just wait if something else falls on me. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. We decided to wait around to see if anything else would happen. <laughs> and another three times debris was thrown at us by an unknown entity. I mean, Will. <laughs> Hello? What do you think is going to stop and come bake you cookies? Like, come on. What exactly were you waiting for to have it throw at you? A chair? I mean, what? <laughs> After that. A couple of our friends began acting strange and wandering off on their own. Well, yeah, they've been hitting the head with debris. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) After we found everyone. Oh, gosh, that makes it sense. (laughs) That's so scary. Just people just wandering around this abandoned building. And you just gather them up. Come on, guys. Over here. Come here. (laughs) Over here. 
after we found everyone, I and two other friends who seemed unaffected gathered everyone and left. Very surreal and unforgettable experience. That's just... That's just weird. Just weird. So... I'm done, but another little fun little side note, if you like creepypasta, and maybe you've heard of it, maybe you haven't, there's a series, it's a little documentary series, kind of like Paranormal Activity, you know what I mean? Like, it's... Did you say creepypasta? Creepypasta, it is a website where, like, things like Paranormal Activity or, like, spooky stories that you think could be real, but they're not. They're creepypasta. So they're made up stories, but they seem really real. Okay. So there's a series called Marble Hornets. And it was basically Slender Man, where Slender Man was created. Yeah. They filmed inside the Jemison Center oh. in the surrounding area. So check it out. It's on YouTube. It's called Marble Hornets. I watched it and got really freaked out, so I stopped watching it. But it's a great storyline. They did a really good job. So uh, can I ask, did Abigail, did she sense anything when she was there? She said she sensed, you know, something just off and something weird. But she didn't necessarily witness anything. Okay. Her husband would only go to a certain point. He didn't go in very far. He wouldn't. I mm-hmm. don't blame him. Yeah. I mean, spooky, spooky stuff. I'd be so curious and would want to, but ooh, I don't know. <laughs> if you have people going in there, I, I would hate to think it's the patients haunting this place because their lives were so miserable. I would feel terrible for... To, to get stuck there. Yeah, I think what would make it like scary is not necessarily the patients that are stuck there, but maybe all the satanic stuff and people coming in looking for something. I mean, that's going to create some kind of a negative right. force. Right. But to remember, what, I mean, we've discussed this before. If somebody dies and doesn't know that they're dead, they linger also. So if they die in a way that's like, yeah. So, yeah, uh, you know, right. perhaps it is patients that don't know that they're dead. It's horrible so to think sad. of, but yeah. And until that building is torn down, I don't see them ever getting any like closure or I wonder why it hasn't been torn down yet. I mean, it's dilapidated and it's dangerous. And it's like, "Welcome, come through me." <laughs> like, uh, exactly. Come walk in here. No, like, exactly. So they come and they arrest people, but just tear it down. Just tear the dang thing down. You probably spent enough money on police patrol by now. You could have torn it down. I know. Okay, so they want to keep it up for historical purposes. Well, then erect some kind of a historical monument. Like, teach people what it is then. Like, it it doesn't make sense. No, it doesn't make sense. Okay, the end. I'm done. (laughs) (laughs) My cocktail is done it sounds like it it might be done empty you've got a happy little face happy pink cheeks thank you abigail for your suggestion yes keep sending us your guys' suggestions if you've been someplace and you've taken pictures we want to see these pictures (laughs) so thank you abigail again that was awesome i'm gonna check in with you and see if we can post some of your pictures because they were pretty spooky and it's cool that they're i mean we we know that's they're real pictures. That's terrible to say. Of course we post real pictures. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> never mind. I'll just take that whole stupid statement back. <laughs> but girl, if you end up going out there, I don't recommend you going back out there. It seems really scary. No. Be yeah. safe. All right. 
And what do we have next week? We have next week Florida. Florida. I will be covering a true crime from Florida. I'll be covering the cocktail. Episode 98. Okay. <laughs> One thing on the brain for mom. Oh, I'll be back. I'll be back home. It'll be Valentine's Day. Oh. So heads up. You guys have a week to go prepare for your Valentine. <laughs> Just warning you. So all of our sources will be posted on our website, killerhangoverpodcast.com. I'm going to check with Abigail and maybe we can post some of these creepy pictures as well. You can listen to the episode on our website too. Send us a message on our website or email us at killerhangoverpodcast at gmail.com. Like I mentioned, we're going to be doing an extra episode every single week watching something that's trending on our Patreon. You can join us in the link in the description of this episode. You can download the app or find us on patreon.com. We are Killer Hangover podcast five dollars for a whole lot of fun yes we're going to be doing these extra episodes every week our episodes get released early they come out on saturdays saturdays yes so join us also if you like us because we know you love us (laughs) if you haven't already please go and leave us a review a rating on spotify on apple music wherever you listen to us thank you thank you thank you All right. Well, like I said, I'm empty over here. So you go and enjoy the beach and I'm going to go to bed. (laughs) I'm going to go to the beach. This was fun. Cheers, mama. Cheers. I love you, kid.